this week I caught COVID and so I had to isolate. And Pastor Luke messaged and he said, hey, I heard you caught COVID. Did you want me to step in and, you know, preach this Sunday? That absolutely blessed my socks off this week. And so I want to say thank you, Pastor Luke, for stepping in this morning and bringing the Word of God. I want you to lean in. It's, a, it's incredible that we've got the father of the house as well who is here in our midst. So I want to welcome Pastor Luke. Why don't we put our hands together and welcome Pastor Luke this morning. Hey, good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you today, especially with your pastors both being sick. Yeah. You were, okay. You know, your, your pastor is a highly talented man. And uh, we just had a great time with him going to Sri Lanka and India. And uh, just amazing just to be able to watch Pastor Don. He, like, he gets up, plays the keyboard, then he sings, then he preaches. Then he does his own dental work. <laughs> I've never come across a uniquely talented pastor like that before. <laughs> Quite amazing. Okay, we're doing a series uh, just on the Beatitudes. And Jesus throughout his life gave short teachings. And, but the Sermon on the Mount is a said sermon that he gave right at the very beginning of his ministry. It is the only one that we have recorded, so he must have regarded it as really, really important. This is the one who came from heaven, the eternal word, the word made flesh, the source of all wisdom and knowledge, the mind of God, and he starts with blessings. Now remember the Old Testament, the last verse of the Old Testament speaks about curse. And so Jesus, he opens up with this sermon and he talks about blessings. And so uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is the one, this is speaking, this guy, he's talking about blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is the bread of life. This is the living water that is speaking here, for they will be filled. And so the sermon goes on and covers uh, the chapters, three chapters, five to seven. And uh, at the end of it, in chapter seven and verse 28, it says, when Jesus had finished these, uh, these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. The religious leaders in those days, they thought that being righteous before God, pleasing God, uh, was based on religion, based on keeping laws. They thought they were a blessed people they pleased God if they kept the laws. And uh, even today, we know that Jewish people are very strong on keeping the law. When I was here a couple of months ago, I shared about when we were in Israel and uh, we arrived, uh, we went with a tour group and, and uh, we arrived a few days before the rest of the party. So I think we arrived on the Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday. And um, so we're in the hotel up on the 13th floor. And um, on the Saturday, we went down to go to breakfast and the lift comes there and... Uh, uh, the door opens and we got in and um, and then it went down to the 12th floor, the door opened, nobody there. And went to the 11th floor, the door opened, nobody there. And 10th floor, nobody there. And it was like that all the way down right to the ground floor. I was really annoyed by the time we got to the ground floor. So I went to the man on the desk and there was this Jewish man all dressed up in his Jewish gear reading his scriptures. And I said, sir, there is something wrong with your lift. It is stopping at every floor. 
He said, that's the Sabbath lift. The Sabbath is a holy day. You don't do any work. So they had programmed the lift so you didn't have to push the button. So like you don't, you don't have the oven going, you don't have anything going, and uh, so you don't cook on, a, on the Sabbath day and uh, nothing like that. And so they programmed the lift because if you push the button, you're engaging electricity, which is regarded as work. And so I was just glad I weren't in Singapore or somewhere we're on the 30th floor, you know, like, <laughs> like everything. No, this would be bad, wouldn't it, eh? So even today, the Jewish people are very strong on keeping laws. Jesus comes along and teaches that being right with God doesn't start with outward things like keeping laws, but internally in the heart. What he's saying, if you get the heart right, then everything else will follow automatically. He said, if you do that, then you will be blessed. And uh, some have translated this word blessed to say happy, but it's only part of the meaning. It's a whole lot more than that. There was a uh, magazine in America, they did a survey and they asked uh, 52,000 Americans what it would make to keep them happy. And uh, most of their answers said, they said their happiness would depend on circumstances rather than issues of the heart. So they said things like, for example, I will be happy when I get out of school. And then they'd say, well, uh, when I get a job, then I'll be happy. And then once they got a job, they said, well, I'll be happy when I get married. And then what followed that was, I'll be happy when I get a divorce. And <laughs> I say, when I have children, then I'll be happy. And then when the children leave home, then I'll be happy. <laughs> and when I retire, then I'll be happy. See, the Bible teaches that true happiness, real Christian happiness, is not a victim of circumstances. It's not something that you have done. It is something that you have within. God didn't promise things. The only promises that God has given to us is, I will be with you. I will be with you. That is the promise from God. Because of this, as circumstances change, the devil cannot take it away from us. We're not a victim of circumstances there. And so, like we often hear people say, well, I'm going to go to Australia. I'm going to start a new life in Australia. The problem is they take themselves with them. <laughs> the most popular misbelief about God in our Western Christianity is that God wants you to be happy. Above all else, God wants you to be happy. I would love with all of my heart to be able to tell you that above all else, God wants you to be happy, but that is not true. The belief that above all else, God wants you to be happy, nothing bad is ever going to happen in your life, Sadly, it is not true. And if you believe that, then that leads to a whole lot of other misbeliefs. Let me show, what, show you what I call a theology of happiness. If you believe that God's supreme goal is for your happiness, here's eventually what you will start to do. Number one is, whatever makes me happy must be right. Whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. Number two, if we start to believe that discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconvenience, obstacles... None of that can possibly be God's will. In other words, if something isn't going right, then it must not be God working in my life. And then the third thing about knowing it, I begin to worship the false God of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. I believe that above all else, God wants me to be happy. One day I'm going to worship false gods of comfort, money, pleasure, and things. I think when something like that, when I get something, I think, wow, God is blessing me. 
You know, wow, you know, something good happens in my life. Wow, God is blessing me. I get a new house. Wow, God is blessing me. I get a new car. Wow, God is blessing me. What about the person who doesn't get a new house or doesn't get a new car? Is God not blessing them? Here's the problem. When we believe that above all else, God wants us happy, suddenly we are forced to believe that God exists to serve us. We have to understand God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve God. See, if God is here to make me happy, suddenly we, re we reduce this great creator, the sustainer of the universe, the holy one, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We reduce them right down to some sort of cosmic vending machine. We put the money in and we press the button, I've done my part, and then the machine must do exactly what I've asked it to do. And literally without knowing that this is what we do, we reduce God down to some kind of formula. We say, God, I said my prayers and I went to church and I tried to do good things. I tried not to do bad things. I put a little bit of money in the offering. I helped the old lady cross the street. I didn't run over the neighbor's cat when I could have, and uh, I left that. And So I've done all of these good things, God. Therefore, my headache should go away. The girl should go out with me. I should get the job. I should get that dream house. And Because I put the money in, and I pressed the button, and then, God, you should do what I want you to do. And here's the tragedy of this misbelief that many people end up walking away from God for completely the wrong reasons because they had wrong beliefs. And they say things like, well, I tried church, but it didn't make me any happier. And I tried religion, but it didn't work. I tried the God thing. I even went to a life group. I read the Bible for a little while, but I still got cancer. My kids are still rebellious, and I'm no better off financially. I tried religion, and it didn't work. If you believe that God exists, to make you happy, when you're unhappy, it forces you to believe that God has failed. God hasn't failed you. You know, we started with a wrong belief and it led to a very dangerous place. I tell you right now, I do believe that God uh, delights in your happiness. I believe that just as any father delights in the happiness of their child when they do something the child is happy, you know. For example, if I go and watch... Um, my grandsons maybe go and play rugby and uh, my grandson, he cuts through the team and uh, scores a winning try and he's celebrating, everybody's celebrating. I'm happy, I'm celebrating. But if he gets up and then he starts to abuse the opposition and tell them what a bunch of useless players they are that they can't tackle and they should go and play basketball and netball or something, you know, so all of a sudden, his happiness is not my highest priority. There is a bigger issue here at stake. See, many of us treat God like this. He should be happy for us no matter what, and then we have a bad attitude to people. We carry bad stuff, got bad attitudes about stuff, and, and, and we wonder why God doesn't bless us. You know, God doesn't want us to pursue happiness. He wants us to pursue him. You know, we don't pursue him for the byproduct of happiness. We're not pursuing him so he'll give us what we want. We're pursuing him for who he is and who he is alone. Jesus taught that the real source uh, to real and lasting happiness is in what we call the Beatitudes. And Jesus gives us eight characteristics of blessed people here in the Beatitudes. God's highest calling for you is not your happiness. God's highest calling for you is to be blessed. See, the blessing of God is that we don't walk through life alone. When you're a teenager, God is with you. You know, when you're a young couple just starting out on your married life, 
God is with you. When you're struggling with kids and you're trying to pay the mortgage or try and pay the rent, God is with you. As you get a little bit older and the body starts to break down a little bit and you start to have some health issues, God is with you. When you get to the end of your life and you're looking to face eternity, God is with you. See, I will be with you. That is the promise from God. He's not promising us things. He's promising I will be with you. No matter what you go through in life, I will be there. I'll be with you. Happiness is not based on happenings. Blessed life is based on his goodness and his presence. In fact, the Greek word here that is translated the word blessed is the word makarios. It means supremely blessed. You could word it another way, which is more than happy. God wants you more than happy. God wants you blessed. It doesn't mean that you won't have a bad day. It doesn't mean that your kids won't fight. It doesn't mean that your car won't break down. It doesn't mean that there won't be times of mourning in your life. All of this stuff will happen to us because we live in a world that's been influenced, affected by sin. What it means, you'll experience the goodness and the presence of God in the middle of some of the difficulties of life. Your happiness and your blessing is not based on a pain-free life. God never promised that. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. I remember when we were kids, I don't think you can get them now. When we were kids, there used to be what they were called promise boxes. Anyone remember promise boxes? They used to have these verses wound up in the promise box and you had a little bit of tweezers. So each day you took out the verse of the day, you know, and they were all good verses in there. There were no bad verses. This verse was not in there. You open it up. In this world, you will have trouble. <laughs> you put that one back and get another one. Oh, yeah, I don't want that one. But he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you're looking for this pain-free, perfect life and we don't have it, then we start to blame God. And the reality is that God wants to be active in our pain-filled life because we live in a sinful and broken world. I'm talking about we're trusting God even when it hurts. I don't need to trust him in a promotion. I need to trust him in a layoff, in a downturn, in a crisis. When I got a problem, I need to trust him. I need to uh, trust him when I just don't understand what's going on around me. I don't understand the methods that are happening in my life, but I'm trusting him for the outcome. See, Just because you're blessed doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. Doesn't mean you're not going to feel weak doesn't mean that there's not going to be some storms that happen uh, in your life. But in the middle of the storm, you can still be blessed. What is a blessing? It's the supernatural peace of God that goes beyond your human ability to understand it or even to comprehend it. The peace that will guard your heart and your mind and your soul in Christ Jesus. Some of you today, you may be going through the middle of a storm. You may be going through some real struggle in your life, going through a time of grief. But in a moment, you can't understand it, but in the moment while you're going through it, in your heart there is the peace of God. There is just something inside. You suddenly realize, I trust him, even though I'm in the middle of a storm, even though my heart is broken, even though it's a struggle here, I trust in you. There is a peace inside. You know, you can be going through the middle of a trial and you would never choose what you're going through right now. It is not your choice. You wish it would never happen. And you feel like you don't have the strength to carry on or to keep going in the middle of that thing. And yet, for some unknown reason, inside you have a sense of the presence of God. You can have joy unspeakable. And 
And people say to you, I don't understand. How can you go through what you're going through and still have that smile on your face, that joy in your heart? You say, I can't explain it. The only thing I can say, it must be God. It must be God. I can't explain it. See, those who are mature in Christ, they recognize that you can actually rejoice in your sufferings and rejoice in your trials because you know that they are developing perseverance in you. James chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finish its work, so you may be mature, complete, not lacking in anything. Then when you've been through enough trials in your life, you begin to recognize that I would never choose them, I'd never choose to walk that path myself. It had it been up to me, I wouldn't have gone that way. But I know that I am who I am today because God allowed me to go through those stuff, you know. He allowed trials and sufferings to happen in my life because it was conforming me into the image of Christ. When I walk with him, I knew him more intimately. I knew him more faithfully. I experienced the goodness of a God, which I would never have known if I hadn't have gone through the stuff that I've gone through. I've found his goodness on a day that I wouldn't have chosen. It's a blessing of God. Let me just wrap this up with just three points. If you want God to bless you, you have to come empty. If you want God to bless you, you have to come empty. Yeah, the key for blessed is to come empty before God. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, it is your nothingness that attracts you God. It's, it's that void, it's that, it's that vacuum, it's that thirst in your life that is attractive to God. It's not your stuff. It's not your degrees. It's not your money. It's not your fancy home. It's not your self-sufficiency. It's that void down deep with inside that hunger in your soul to know God. See, God doesn't mind you having things. He does mind things having you. That's his concern, you know. You've got to be empty enough to have a faith experience in your life. You have to be empty enough for God to get your full and, his, and undivided attention. Remember the story about the woman? And uh, the prophet came to her. She was right at the end of her life. She had no money and considering just taking her life and so on. And the prophet told her to go and get some empty containers. But he said, in order to get your miracle, don't bring half-full containers. Don't bring three-quarter-full containers. Don't bring quarter-full containers. Don't bring me one-third-full containers. They have to be empty containers to be eligible. Don't bring others. Let me ask you, are you empty enough? You know, do you have one idea left? Have you got some contingency, a contingency backup plan there, you know, that you're going to use? Have you got a plan B or a plan C that if this doesn't work out, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that? You know, you're not empty enough. God says, I want you to bring to me vessels that are empty. God values you the most, not when you're full, not when you're overflowing, not when you've got all this creative input that you can't wait just to tell everyone about and invest it into the church and into everything else. God values you the most when you come and you are empty. God wants to fill you. If you want God to fill you, you have to come empty. If you want God to bless you, you have to come empty. If you want God to help you, you have to come empty. If you want God to deliver you, you have to come empty. This widow woman, she picked up a pot, and the pot began to pour. The oil began to flow, and it continued to flow as long as there were empty containers. 
It didn't flow on the capacity of the vessel that she was holding. It flowed on the capacity of the empty containers that were before her. Second thing I want to suggest, if you want God to bless you, you have to change focus. In fact, in Psalm 37 verse 4, David said this. He said, we have to delight in the Lord. It says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That word delight means to enjoy, carries with the idea of being soft and being pliable before God. If you want to delight as we seek God, we begin to enjoy God and to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the things it says will be added unto you because you're seeking God first. He's got that place of priority. We're not uh, seeking him. He's given me his desires. I'm now praying, not my will, I'm praying his will. Suddenly, I'm living a blessed life. The blessed life is not the perfect life, not the pain-free life. It's something that is better than happiness. It is joy unspeakable. It's a peace when I'm troubled. It's a supernatural strength when I feel completely weak. It's a supernatural life when I need a miracle. And third thing I want to say is that if you want God to bless you, you've got to change your attitude. They say in flying there is such a thing. As, I know nothing about flying, but it says your, your attitude determines your altitude. Apparently it's an aviation term. And so if your attitude is like that, then you go up. And if your attitude is like that, then you go down. Your attitude determines your altitude. And I think that's so true in life, isn't it? Our attitude is so important in life. Have anyone ever suggested to you that your attitude stinks? I prob I've probably had that said to me a few times. <laughs> That's why my wife is not here today. <laughs> no, just kidding you. <laughs> See, we need to be aware that our attitude will determine our altitude. The way you conduct yourself is crucial in the role that it plays in helping you determine the direction in life, your success in life. Having a good attitude, it, it will get you anywhere. It'll help you with your personal life. It'll help you with your career, help you with your health. It'll help you with your relationship. It will help you. It'll determine your walk with God. What is your attitude like? It'll point you in the direction that you want your life to go. But I'd like to say that your B attitude determines your altitude. See, all of the B attitudes are, de uh, are dealing with the inner life of a person. They deal with your attitude towards God, your walk with God, your awareness uh, of the inner presence of God, your hunger and your thirst for God. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for God, for they will be filled. God wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be more than happy. And the real promise from God is not things. The real promise from God is, I will be with you. Tapping into his goodness, knowing his presence, so that no matter what, in everything, God is working to get together for good to those that love him who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, O oh God. We thank you, O oh God, Lord, that your highest desire, O oh God, Lord, is that you want us to be more than happy. Your highest desire is that you want us to be blessed. Your highest desire, you want us to be aware of the inner presence of your Holy Spirit walking with us in every situation that we face in life. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together and thank Pastor Luke for that awesome word this morning. You know, the truth is deep within the soul of man, 
is this void that nothing in the world can satisfy. Stuff can't satisfy it. Your relationships can't satisfy it. Nothing in the world could satisfy it other than God himself. And so this morning, I want to give you the invitation. And if you're here today and you realize I'm far away from God, or I I don't know what it is to experience this internal peace that nothing in the world could take away that Pastor Luke has been talking about, I want to give you this invitation. And you, you ought to come empty this morning. And so if you're here today and you're wanting to say, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to make him the Lord of my life. You need to know that this God who created the entire universe is the God who created you and me. And he is the same God who created you on purpose and for a purpose. But there is a thing that causes a disconnect between us and God and it separates us from God. And that thing is called sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But you see, my friend, it didn't end there because God in his grace, he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay that wage, so that you and I didn't have to face the consequences of sin, which is death. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he took on himself what you and I were due for sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him, it's as simple as believing in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so available to you today is a new beginning right now, forgiveness for your past, and a hope for your future and eternal life with him in heaven. And so if that's you and you're saying, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus, I want you to raise your hand right now. That's you, I want you to lift your hand. Thank you, I see that 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 hand. Thank you, bro, I see that hand. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. I need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. This prayer is just an expression of you putting your faith and your trust in Jesus. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and you rose again. I turn from my sins. I turn to you. I choose to invite you into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate everyone who made that decision for Jesus this morning. Hey, we are so proud of you. Congratulations.